Today, we chat with Shiv Gupta, the founder of View of Digital, an education platform and network of experts that simplify the complex world of digital marketing and ad tech. In this episode, we chat about the value that young people bring to the industry, the importance of self-awareness, and the creative way that he found his first job in tech. You can get two months of the U of Digital's newsletter free at uof.digital. So go check that out and please enjoy this episode with Shiv Gupta. Welcome to the Ad Undergrad Podcast. I'm Katie Moy, along with my co-host, Julian Lewis. Wait, stop the music. Katie, do you mind calling me Professor Lewis? But Julian, you're an adjunct professor. All right, fair enough. As practitioners of marketing and advertising, Katie and I wanted to give back to you, undergrads, recent grads, and those early in your careers looking to switch industries. In each episode, we'll highlight the career paths of practitioners and provide you with actionable knowledge to apply early in your journeys. Enjoy. Welcome back to the Ad Undergrad Podcast. Today, we have a special guest, Mr. Shiv Gupta. Just before we dive into who you are, we met because you had started U of Digital. I saw that somebody that I knew and worked with, shout out to Eric, who became an expert within your network. And I was like, yo, connect me to Shiv. It turns out that you live in Berkeley. I live in Albany. We got coffee at Highwire, which was phenomenal. And we haven't had an opportunity to collaborate. So I'm happy that this is our first instance. So Shiv, weirdest, most different intro that I've given on this podcast, but welcome. Why don't you tell folks a little bit about yourself beyond what I just rambled on about? Yeah, for sure. So first of all, thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. Really excited to be here talking to both of you. So just who I am, quick background on me. I've spent my entire career in the advertising technology world. I was at one of the original performance ad networks in the industry. It was called advertising.com. I mean, it was actually acquired by AOL of all companies in 2004 for about $500 million, which was a crazy kind of moment in the industry because you had this major dot-com acquiring an ad tech company, which is a very new thing back in the day. And then all of a sudden, you know, you had Google following in their footsteps, Yahoo, Microsoft, et cetera. And now we fast forward, ad tech is huge. But I was at advertising.com and AOL for about 10 years in operations, sales leadership, mostly on the programmatic platforms, ad tech side of their business, but also selling some of their, their more premium properties as well. And then I hopped over to a company called Critio, which focuses on personalized ad retargeting. It's sometimes tough for me to tell people that I was at Critio because when I explain to them what Critio does, they're like, oh, I don't think I like you because Critios, they serve up those uh, annoying ads that follow you around the internet. So I was there for a couple of years running their East Coast sales team out of New York, moved out to the Bay, got the entrepreneurial bug a few years ago and decided uh, I wanted to start my own company. So it's called U of Digital. We focus on bringing structured ad tech, martech kind of industry education to the ecosystem. We focus primarily on doing that for commercial teams at media and ad tech companies. I also did this because, first of all, I love teaching. I really wanted to align my career with teaching. I was sick of selling. I also wanted to do something a little more mission-oriented. So the company donates a percentage of revenue every year to nonprofit education causes. I've been fortunate enough to continue to teach in a university environment as well, just like you, Julian as an adjunct at the Levy School of Business at Santa Clara University, teaching a course on programmatic advertising. So that is me in a nutshell. 
normally we would start off with your schooling and what you've studied and how you got into the industry. But I definitely wanted to give that rundown because when Katie and I started at an advertising at an agency, we were buying Platform Direct and then we started to buy on networks. And so we're very familiar with advertising.com and that acquisition. And also there was like Blue Lithium that got acquired by Yahoo. So it was like that time where those portals were seeing the value in the industry that way. But I guess going back to Johns Hopkins, how did you decide from an economics degree that you wanted to get into this industry? It doesn't seem like to align perfectly linearly. Yeah, that's a great question. I don't think anybody, and you guys tell me if you disagree, I don't think anybody really ends up in digital advertising because that's what they set out to do. I mean, I'm no exception to that. I started actually as an engineer at Hopkins. I always, in the back of my mind, realized like I'm probably more wired to be in the business world, but I didn't know what that meant, right? Like, oh, I'm going to be a business person. What does that even mean? I switched to econ a couple of years in because I didn't care about the flow of liquid through a pipe enough to like get D's in that that class and be okay with it. So I was like, all right, I'm going to switch to something that I care a little bit more about. So I landed in economics. It was interesting, did much better in that, but I really knew I wanted to get into business and more specifically, I wanted to get into tech. And so I did an internship at Google after my junior year and it really had nothing to do with advertising. It was on their business development team. Funny story, I was on a team that was basically reaching out to website owners, like pretty manually, like emailing them every day, like hundreds and hundreds of website owners. And if, if you go to any website and you type in the URL and then you do backslash robots.txt, that robots.txt is a text file that sits on every domain and it instructs search engines whether they are allowed to crawl the website or not. And so you had these websites that were, were blocking Google's crawler and I was on like the search expansion team. So it was my job to help get more websites to unblock Google from crawling the website. And so I did that for you know a few months. It was fun. I learned a lot. Maybe I didn't learn that much, but I was at Google. I got some free naked juice. It was pretty cool. But I realized I really wanted to be in tech. Tech was cool. It was 2007-ish. And so then what happened, why I got into digital advertising specifically is After college or towards the end of college, my GPA was terrible because engineering ruined my GPA. And I wasn't some rock star student in the first place. So I was like, man, my GPA is terrible. If I go to these Johns Hopkins career fairs, I'm just going to get crushed. And so I decided to go across the street to Towson. No offense to Towson. I love Towson. But it was the state school in Maryland. And I was like, if I show up here and I just remove my GPA from my resume and I just say like, oh, I'm the Johns Hopkins kid here at the Towson job fair. This sounds so not cool, but this is what I did. I'll get noticed more. And so I was going through, I was going through and advertising.com was based in Baltimore. And so they had a stand at the Towson job fair. I talked to the guy, they brought me in for an interview and I'm like, this is tech. I know it's advertising, but I don't care. It's still tech and it's an analyst position. And, and this is somewhat interesting to me and beggars can't be choosers. Let's do this. That's how I got into digital advertising. That's not too dissimilar from me or even Katie to a certain extent. Although I would, I don't know what your GPA was, but I can almost guarantee you is a lot higher than both mine and Jim's <laughs> because I was on academic probation. But you leveraged what you learned from your internship to figure out that you wanted to be in tech. Yeah. You were resilient enough to understand that you would have a difficult time at the Johns Hopkins. I don't know why it's plural. That's a whole other thing. But the Johns Hopkins Career Fair. So you went to another school where you would stand out because you went to that school. So you're resilient enough to find it. And so, yes, it might not be 
the right way, quote unquote, to do something, but it was scrappy enough to know you wanted to have your advantage somewhere. So I think it's great and it shows resilience. Yeah, a lot of creativity. You got to do what you got to do. You're just trying to get a job. And although the industry has changed since your first job, I would say the thing that stayed the same is that it's always changing in a way. So what are some of those skills or qualities that you had at your first job that you think are still really relevant for students going into their first job? Yeah, I mean, I I think that first job that you get is really formative, right? So it's I, I think it's less about like my skills that I had in my first job as opposed to things I learned from my first job that then I used throughout my career. And I think some of the things I learned at that first job, like ad.com was a really cool company back in that that time and was doing some really cool things. And I was in this group called the Business Analysis Group, which had a lot of powers. It was weird. It, it, they gave like these fresh college graduates a lot of power to make decisions and dictate like pricing for new campaigns and tell salespeople what they can and can't sell. And that was a really empowering experience. And, and what it really felt like and this was always the promise of tech because it felt like a true meritocracy, right? It was like, oh, you bring in smart people, you empower them to do well, and, and that can be really good for them and for the organization. And so I think one big thing I learned there, just in terms of being successful, especially in that type of context, is you have to be willing, A, learn. You have to have an appetite to learn. You have to have an appetite to put your skills on display in a way, right? Like you have to have pride in your work and you have to be able to show that and demonstrate that. But you also just have to like demonstrate the desire and appetite to learn. And I think in the right context within the right organizations, those things are really valued. And I think more and more as organizations modernize themselves, obviously big tech is a beacon of light in our economy, good or bad, we can argue that at another time. But big tech has set the standard for how organizations should be run. And a lot of that is very much focused on, hey, this is a meritocracy. People that are willing to learn, right? And it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how much experience you have necessarily. And so I think some of those things really helped me get to where I am and helped me along my journey. Yeah. So I would say that there's a bunch of other things, right? Some of the, the more cliche stuff really matters too. It's being willing to change with the change that's around you, right? Not getting stuck in your ways, being open-minded, being gritty. All of those things matter as well. One more other big thing would be just self-awareness, right? I think Self-awareness more than ever matters, knowing your own weaknesses, your own strengths, and then being willing to admit to those and being willing to surround yourself with people that'll help maybe make up for some of your shortcomings and being okay with that, right? Being comfortable in your own skin. All good things. I do want to double down on that self-awareness piece because on paper, it seems pretty straightforward. And I spoke at Cuca College, a liberal arts school in New York. So shout out to Cuca College. And from that, I'm mentoring two individuals. And when I was talking about my story, I talked about Ikigai and like finding my purpose and like how long it took for me to get to that point. I think I was 32 or 31 when I first found out about that term. I'm 36 now. What did you do to find that self-awareness? What worked for you? Or was it somebody else that provided you with that advice? Yeah, that's a really good question, Julian. I think an early age, you follow people that you admire and you follow people that have been successful in, you know, whatever context that you're within. And I just think back to my first boss was one of those guys. He was a good guy and he was, he, he talked to me even though he was way senior to me and I was a graduate out of college. He respected my opinion. He wanted to hear what I had to say. He wanted to, to listen to my perspective. And that set a tone. That's a tone. Like those early leaders 
that you gravitate to that you know are successful, kind of following in their footsteps a little bit. And so I don't think there was, I probably can't point to one moment, maybe like you can, Julian, where I found that, hey, self-awareness is really valuable. I think it's also early age too. It's early age, your values, your family, the way you've you've been raised. Some of the things that you don't like growing up and trying to be almost different than that. I'm not going to name any names, but there was like, there were some people in my family that I thought were very much the opposite of self-aware. And I was like, I don't want to be that. It's an aggregation of many different events throughout different walks of life. Yeah. I like the the notion of following somebody because the way you said it was talking about your boss who was in the same physical space as you that you could see. And I don't remember exactly the founding date of Twitter, but like it wasn't prevalent in 2006 when you first started your first job or 2007. And so now you have the ability to listen to a podcast like at undergrad and then start to follow Shiv or find somebody through a YouTube talk and start to follow them and understand like their path and not necessarily replicate it, but ultimately see what is making them successful and then try to apply that to your current situation. So that notion of following, I think really resonates with me and hopefully with students on like, find somebody who is doing something that you enjoy and try to almost reverse engineer how they got there or listen to the Ad Undergrad podcast. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> totally agree. And shifting gears a little bit, you have been advising different companies for a couple of years now. What's top of mind for these organizations? What are their biggest challenges, some trends in the marketplace that a student should be aware of? The industry is at a really interesting juncture right now where it's not quite fully mature, but it has matured more and more over the last 10 years. It's not the Wild West anymore, right? You have three companies, you have Facebook, Google, and Amazon that dominate, I think, upwards of 65, 70% of all digital ad spend in the United States. So that indicates that it's somewhat of a maturing market. The thing that's interesting about this market is the next 10 years are probably still going to bring a lot more change and a lot more maturity in some interesting areas and a lot of opportunity. And so I think what's top of mind for companies is figuring out how to unlock that opportunity five to 10 years out, at least the strategic, thoughtful companies. And I think that means I think it's a Wayne Gretzky quote, right? Like you go to where the puck is as opposed to going to the puck. I think a lot of these companies are thinking about, okay, listen, Google, Facebook, and Amazon, what they're doing today, we're not going to unseat them. We're not going to become some massive social powerhouse, unless you're TikTok, I guess, where you're going to unseat Facebook or Instagram or anything like that, or you're not going to unseat Google and search unless the government comes in and breaks them up for antitrust or whatever. So how do we think about where the puck is going? Because we do know there's a lot of growth coming in the digital space in the next five to 10 years. So a lot of companies are starting to think about, okay, where's that growth coming from? It's coming from traditional mediums like television. It's coming from audio. It's coming from out of home, right? A lot of these traditional advertising mediums that are now migrating or becoming digitized, marketers are trying to figure out or, or companies are trying to figure out how they unlock that future opportunity so that come three years from now, Connected television is massive. It's already pretty big, but it's going to grow a lot. We all know that. Come three to five years from now, it's not just Google dominating that space, but maybe one of these other companies has a shot at it. And so it's just about thinking ahead about where things are going and how to position yourself to be successful in that future state. In that vein, I think about when we were graduating school, there were agencies and brands thinking about, okay, what are we thinking about <laughs> because we're the generation that is going to have the spending power. And now it's Generation Z. 
And those are the college students that are hopefully listening to this podcast. Think about your behavior. Think about the behavior of your classmates. Think about where they're spending their time and attention. And you mentioned TikTok or the Ad Undergrad podcast, which I'm going to keep plugging on the podcast. I guess if you're listening, you're already a fan. But you have to think about what you're doing and how you're spending your time and start to think about why that's important to a business. And I think that's what could help you keep your finger on the pulse. And what I imagine that these companies that you're advising are thinking about. Yeah. And hey, Julian, to your point, I think that's a really good thought, especially from the perspective of young people figure they set the future. They are the ones that hold the keys to the future. And so you almost as a young person, for those of you listening out there, like you guys have so much value just in that. Like older people like us, unfortunately, we, we're more set in our ways, right? I can't tell you the number of times somebody in my like friend circle over the last few months have just said, TikTok, that's for kids. Like, oh, use TikTok. Like I'm too old for TikTok. I want to shake them a little bit and be like, no, don't be that person. But that's what we are now in a way. And young people have the luxury of mentally just being more nimble and more flexible and more open to some of these new technologies and, and these new ways of doing things. And there's so much value in that, that a company can get out of it, recognize your value and, and, and make use of it. So I think that that's a little tidbit to think about. Yeah, indeed. So let's dive into to you of digital and really uncover like the genesis of why you created it. You talked about one of the skills from ad.com of just like learning and being open to learning. And now you're translating that into like teaching. So you can help that kind of next wave. So I'd love to, to dive a little bit deeper on like the initial need and, and why you created it. What students could potentially tap into today to really start to get their grasp on what's going on in the space? Yeah, so I mentioned a couple of reasons earlier, right? I love teaching. I've, I've been able to speak at Johns Hopkins. I've been able to speak at a bunch of universities as a guest lecturer. I had the opportunity to be an adjunct at Levy School of Business in Santa Clara. And so I just love teaching. So I wanted to align myself with that. I wanted to do some social good. I feel like, just go off on a tangent for a brief second, if you were to think about all the positive things that you can do for society, maybe it's donating food, or maybe it's giving people clothing, or getting people shoes, or fresh water, or what, what have you. I've gone through that process in my head. I, I know a lot of people probably think about these things too. The thing I always come back to is education is like the most strategically valuable thing that I think we can contribute to our society because it shapes our future. It shapes, you know, how we take care of our climate, not now and here, but in the future. Our governments are set up in the future. And so I always believe in educating the future and, and, and the, the children of the future. And so I wanted to align myself with that. And so we donate a percentage, as I said, of revenue every year to nonprofit education for kids around the world. And then finally, like there's a huge need in the digital advertising space for education. It's also just from a business perspective, I was trying to find a good market product fit from an education perspective. And frankly, digital advertising moves super fast, as you guys mentioned. It's pretty complex in certain areas, right? Particularly ad tech. It's pretty fragmented once you get out of Google, Facebook, and Amazon, right? The, the remaining 30% is very fragmented. And so there's a huge kind of appetite out there for understanding the industry better. We actually focus mainly on professionals and helping educate professionals, whether they're at the agencies or at the social companies or or the vendors or the tech companies. That's what we focus on doing. And our kind of hypothesis there is any market, the market is better off with more information, right? That's like a free market theory. And ad tech, there's so much misinformation or lack of information and education 
right now. And we want to fix that. So our mission statement as U of Digital is to make digital advertising a better industry through education. That's it, right? Full stop. And so we believe in the value of how broadly can we educate the space so that the industry overall can be more efficient, more effective, and pretty much kind of lift all boats as a result of that. So that's what we do. That's who we are. Again, we focus primarily right now on educating sales teams. We have a few things that we're thinking about doing right now, right? So just we're creating an academy right now for students that they could walk up to and sign up for. Not ready yet, but I wanted to give that plug. Today, we do have something called the U of Digital Newsletter, which is just a way for people to keep up with the industry. So you could subscribe to that for two months free on our website, uof.digital. So those are some resources we provide. I think bigger picture, there are a lot of good resources out that are just free and openly available. So the IAB is a great resource, I'd say. Some of the trades tend to be great resources, whether that's Digiday or Ad Exchanger or Adweek. They do a really good job of actually creating educational type of content as well. And so there's a bunch of self-paced resources out there for you guys as students to check into. I think at the end of the day, you have to have that appetite, right? If, if it's interesting to you and you have the appetite, then there's a lot out there for you. On your website, there is a services ad tab. And even just the list of topics could be really helpful for students just to understand what is 101 versus 201. What are keywords I can search and get maybe a little bit more understanding going into an agency and being more prepared. So I think that would be also a great resource for students listening. Yeah. And the other thing that I was going to add is I love that you said you're educating the Katie's, the Julian Shivs of the world, because I think for students, they're not that far at a disadvantage. They're at an advantage because they know what they're consuming, but they're not that far behind because it's constantly changing. And so if they do have that appetite to learn and they can seek out the resources that are out there, you're going to be in a pretty good position to propel your career pretty quickly if you're learning about things as they're happening. Yeah, that's a really good point, Julian. And I'll take that a step further. Not to discount the three of us and our experience but I think experience is a tiny bit overrated in this industry. And you can very quickly overcome that through self-educating yourself. So for example, I mentioned earlier, it is very much more of a meritocracy in this industry than let's say consulting or finance or law, obviously, or medicine, which is a huge advantage for, I'd say, a grad that's coming out of college and wants to get a head start. Just have an appetite for learning. There's tons of resources out there. If you learn, you show up to an interview, you'd be surprised at maybe how many more people within that organization that already are there working full-time that you might already know some more things then. And, and to your point, Julian, when I teach my course at the Levy School of Business at Santa Clara, you'd be surprised how many of those concepts I'm actually teaching some of the professionals as well in the industry, the same stuff. So it's not just some completely different level of content. Hey, this is for grads and this is for professionals and they're way far apart. They're not. There's a lot of overlap there. So uh, you make a great point. A great reminder that it's easy kind of to get tunnel vision on what you are being a practitioner of, but knowing other parts of the industry, other channels make you better at your job, whether you're starting out or 15 years in. <laughs> Is there any advice that you would give yourself as an undergrad now knowing what you know today? Yeah, I think so a couple things. First of all, it's okay not to know what you want to do in college and be comfortable with that, right? Because you don't, you don't know what you want to do necessarily until you experience it. 
when there was, I, I think kids are always under pressure to figure out, okay, what are you going to be? Are you going to be a doctor? We start asking our kids from when they can talk like, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I don't think you need to put that much pressure on yourself to figure out that answer in college, even after college, explore, learn yourself a little bit and figure out what actually appeals to you. Now, I'm actually going to just contradict what I just said and say the exact opposite as well. I think it is important to think about it, right? It is important to spend some mental energy thinking about what will make you happy. And there's going to be so many different things that are noise, right? In that conversation in your brain, it's going to be your parents. It's going to be Uncle Joe or all these people saying like, oh, you should be a lawyer or, oh my God, I want to make a lot of money. So I want to be on Wall Street. I think early on, you want to start having some really honest conversations with yourself about what are the things that make you happy, right? What are the things that fulfill you? What are the things that you want to achieve in your life? And I think those are the first things that you want to start thinking about that lead you down certain paths. I think sometimes people try to back into those answers. They'll focus on the tactical, right? They'll say, oh, I really like history. I really like science. I really like tech. And I think that's backing into then what you want to do big picture, what you want to stand for, what fulfills you. I think thinking about some of those big picture things first is probably where you want to start. And again, it's okay if you can't come up with the answers right away and you need to do some exploration, but at least starting to think about it and having those conversations, like it puts you in the right mindset, right? It gives you a little bit of a head start, I think, versus a lot of your peers that are being very tactical or just meandering through a process or just showing up to the Towson job fair and trying to get anybody to look at their resume. So I think it's both of those schools of thought. I know they sound contradictory, but I think that's how you should be thinking about it. Yeah, I think that makes like perfect sense. And for me, just looking back at when I was at Colorado back in the day. So this has all been valuable content. And I'm really excited to continue to partner with you on things and follow where your digital is going. But in the meantime, like where can people follow you and reach out to you if you're open to it? Yeah, absolutely. So my email address is shiv at uof.digital, not .com, .digital. So just email me. I'm happy to chat with anybody and everybody. I love chatting with students. As I mentioned, I, I do it a lot and, and I, I love teaching. So happy to chat with anybody and everybody. Also, you can always hit me up on LinkedIn, right? So it's just Shiv Gupta on LinkedIn. I'm also very active on Twitter. And you're going to get some cross-section of ad tech and martech married to Brooklyn Nets basketball an NBA talk married to some political stuff from my Twitter. But I, I tweet all the time. So if you want to follow me on Twitter, uh, my my handle is, don't laugh, airgoops23, because I was a, a Michael Jordan kid and my birthday is the 23rd as well. But yeah, just any social media, uh, I'm available. I'm very responsive and anybody can feel free to email me at any time. Great. This was amazing. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, I loved being on and you guys are doing an awesome thing. So keep up the good work and for everybody out there, keep learning. Thank you again for your ears. We want to incorporate your questions on the podcast. Please email us at hello at adundergrad.com. And don't forget to follow us on all platforms at the ad undergrad. Tune in next time as we capture more paths of industry practitioners.